Welcome to the Tribute to Happiness at Work, at Home, in Life podcast. What is happiness? Where do you find happiness? How do you feel happiness? Do you control your own happiness or is somebody else controlling your happiness? Are you living a meaningful and worthwhile life where you experience joy, contentment and positive well-being? Do you feel happiness at work, at home and in life? In this Tribute to Happiness podcast, you will discover what happiness means to people all over the world and how they implement happiness in their life. Here is your host, Hjeden Svenperson, and with him you'll explore these and other interesting topics. Hello and good morning. This is Iceland's Chief Happiness Officer calling. What do you do when you have this gnawing feeling that you are no longer on the right path? Do you quit your job? Do you leave your home? How do you balance your desire for freedom and financial security? In this episode of Tribute to Happiness, I'll talk to a former worldwide director of finance at Apple who lived the standard path of success but is now helping save the world's most ambitious people from themselves. Interesting. Helping save the world's most ambitious people from themselves. Hi, this is Rusty. Hey, Rusty! This is Hedin. Or Hedin, as you would probably know me. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Hedin. It's good to talk to you. Hi. So, how are we today? How are things going? In uh, uh, You are stationed in California, if I remember right. That's right. I'm in California, so we have the California-Iceland connection. Um, yes. so it's great. It's it's uh, it's a little overcast today, but it's pretty warm and it's a beautiful day. Why why am I talking to you? We have minus eight degrees Celsius today and snow. And I, I, why am I talking to a person in California? <laughs> well, <laughs> I think you're going to borrow some of my happiness from the nice weather. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bring it on, bring it on. So, can you please tell our listeners or my listeners something about rusty? How how Gaillard 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 yes I say Gaillard it's a uh, Gaillard would be the French pronunciation but we've been in the U.S. long enough we say Gaillard okay so yeah what, so I, yeah. I live here in California and yeah. I work at the intersection of high tech and inner technology and that's working with people in high tech mostly and helping them develop their inner technology which is their inner resources to find happiness and live the kind of life they want to live. Yeah, okay. When when did you like how did you get there? Like why why is it that it's very posh name for a job title or like <laughs> It's been a journey heading. It's <laughs> been a journey. So, so the the first 25 years of my career were um working in big companies. I uh, went to Princeton for my undergraduate degree in engineering. I worked as an engineer. I went to business school. I worked as uh, worked at Apple for 13 years in high tech, and towards the end of that journey, it was I, f- I knew it was no longer the right path for me to be on. But it took me a while to figure out what I really wanted to do. Okay. Um, I'm happy to tell you more about that inflection point, but I finally found it and moved in this direction of coaching, and it's been fantastic. Yeah, I 
the one thing I need to know, if you worked for Apple in uh, like 13 years, what do you have on your conscience? What, what, like, what thing did you make? Can you t- say, or did you work at the office? Or like, what did you build? I worked in the office, so I worked in the supply chain group. So that was the, uh, you know, how much do we make and where are we selling it and all of that. Uh, and then I worked in finance. So I didn't do any design work, but I had some, you know, it was, it was an exciting place to be. I started at Apple when the biggest product that they were selling was the iPod, yeah. which now is gone. You can't even buy an iPod anymore. Uh, so I was there when the iPhone was launched. I was there when the iPad was introduced. I was there when the Apple Watch was launched. So I was there for some amazing, exciting times. Um, and, and do you think they, they, like, can they invent more? Like, because, like, okay, Steve Jobs, he was a visionary. Like, he saw things that nobody else saw. Like, ha, like do we have this uh, ability to do and see things, like, as he saw them? I think we as a people do, you know, whether Apple can do that and execute it, you know, I hope they do because I still think it's a great company, uh, but I, I can't answer that. But I just think, you know, fundamentally our life is shaped by our ability to imagine something that has not yet occurred. Uh, and then to start with the imagining of it and then to go create it. It is funny to see like the films back to the future when like, and they were made how far how 30 years ago or something and most of the stuff that they shown in that <laughs> those films are relevant today like the hoover board yeah. so it's just like don't take technology for granted like you have to and the and people minds they are just like crazy got good stuff yes yes absolutely so your journey because you mentioned your journey like after 13 years of Apple, you must have been happy guy, or what? Like, when did you start to get the feeling, or, or was it a feeling, or was it like, did you one day open your eyes and say, hmm, I'm not happy? Like, can you remember when you started to think about if you were pleased with your work? Yeah, you know, Steve Jobs one time said, you can't, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. You can't do it when you're looking forwards. And from this perspective, if I look back, I would say the beginning of that change was when my son was young. I had just been promoted. I was a director of worldwide finance at Apple, and I was responsible for the global forecast process. So I worked with people in Europe. I worked with people in Asia. I'm in California. So that's my mornings, my evenings. And the evenings in particular were this huge challenge for me because I wanted to be home. I wanted to be there for dinner. My son is young. I wanted to put him to bed. I wanted to be a part of that. And that was prime time to be on the phone with the people working in China, working in Japan, working in Australia, all the people around Asia that I work with. And I honestly got to the point where I, I just felt like I was failing in both places. I would, I was always having to trade off something, either miss something at work or miss, be not be home or be late to be home. And it was, it was painful. It became really painful for me. And the decision that I reached at that point was as I was building my team, I was hiring somebody on my team. I decided that I would take the position I was hiring for and have my back boss backfill me. So I basically demoted myself. That was a good decision from a personal standpoint, because now I could be home. I had a smaller job. I could manage it easily. 
and I like was present in my son's life, and that was wonderful. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. But when you yeah. when you because your system in in the states when you when people have kids like like here in Iceland they have recently made the law that you can have uh, I think twelve months in maternity leave. Like the the mother gets four months, the the father gets four months, and then they can like flip a coin who takes the last four. Like, but like, how is it for you guys? Because you are like as you say, because when that process, when you have a kid and you are just like in awe, because that must be the like epiphany of your life because you can't make anything greater than a baby okay yeah okay yeah uh uh so so how is it are like are there many who thinks like you or are there just like is it that therefore the women are more at home or like how do you see it in in a sense of workplace versus home life because we are talking about happiness at work and happiness at home and this is a huge decision to have a kid in a system that is not kid friendly family friendly like am i off or am i close to the uh, truth or something no i, I so i i, I want to answer your question but i want to first kind of point out an under inherent assumption in that which was absolutely the way i was thinking at that time and i don't i no longer see it that way but the inherent assumption is that there's a trade-off you have to trade off presence and success at work or happiness at work and happiness at home that you can't have both and that's where i was operating from at that time when i made the decision to basically devote myself i no longer see it that way but so i did a couple of things it was pretty um novel i took two months off when my son was born between the months of four and four and six months old i was his primary caregiver as my wife at the time went back to work and I was the first person in, in the group that I was in, who had ever, the first man in the group that I was in to have done that. Uh, so that was that was new. And the, you know, basically giving myself a demotion. I have, I've met a couple of guys who have taken time off or, you know, making, uh, taking adjustments to their career to spend time at home. But by and large, it, most people consider it to be a trade-off and, and it's pretty unusual still for men uh, it's, it's, of course it happens, but it's way more unusual for men than it is for women. Yeah. Because like uh, here in Europe, we have this pater- maternity leaves and stuff. So mm-hmm. the companies are thinking about, because like we ha- see it, that you can't have a good working life if you don't have a good home life and stuff. And and the government, they say you, you, have, to get, you have to bring kids to this world because or else our country will just fade because if we don't have any kids, then blah, we'll worry, worry, blah, blah, blah. But so, so when, like, when was this in your career? Like, you worked there for thirteen years. So when, when was it that your son was born and you started to like think about the values? It must point pit. Like, you must think about your this, values. Yeah, this was about four or five years into my thirteen years, uh, and so I still had a lot of years ahead of me. And, you know, I, I, again, this is something I didn't know at the time, but uh, there's a, a psychologist or professor here, Amy Rosinski, who's talked about how people relate to their work. And people relate to it as a job, which is I'm going to get paid. 
They can relate to it as a career, which is, you know, I'm advancing and I'm a stepping stone to move up. Or they can relate to it as a calling, which is, you know, this is what I'm meant to do. And one of the things I love about that framework is, you know, the example she gives is a janitor in a hospital can relate to it in all three ways. It can be a job. I go and I sweep the floors to get paid. It can be a career, which is, hey, if I'm really good at a janitor, maybe I can work my way up and be a facilities manager. Or it can be a calling, which is, hey, if I don't do a good job, I work in a hospital. Someone could die because the the facility is not clean. So this is my contribution to the health and the well-being of the patients here. So I think about that for me, because for the early part of my working at Apple, I was, it was for sure a career because I was on my way up. I was climbing the ladder. I was like, where, how far can I go? And to some extent it was a calling because Apple's an exciting place to be and new products and the iPhone and the iPad. And I was a part of all of that. So it was, it, it hit both of those for me. But once I demoted myself, once I took the step back, it was no longer, I was no longer on that same career path. And as a part of that, I didn't have the same opportunities that I had before. And so that my connection from a calling standpoint, I still think Apple's a great company. I just didn't feel as personally connected to it. But how, 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 yeah. how, how is it when, when you are on this career path? Because you, I think you are most likely the first person uh, like who has been on a career path. Like the, when you're saying like you are going upwards in the world. Like... Was it the money that drove you, or like, how did you see it? Like, in a sense, because when when you think about a career, and you you put everything else on the side, like on the sideline, and is it like did you discover in this like when you look back and think like, why was it that I, like were you driven to money? It, it, like, do you know what I'm do you know what I'm uh, saying? Yeah, no, I wasn't. I mean, the money, of course, is a part of it. It's, I think it's a part of it for all of us. But that was not the main factor for me. The main factor for me was really about, um, well, first of all, I'd grown up in a family like this. My dad was very successful in business. He climbed, climbed the ladder. He worked at a big company. So, you know, part of it is we do what we've learned success looks like. And I learned success looks like climbing the ladder. Yeah. That was a part of it. A part of it was uh, wanting to prove myself, wanting to, you know, be good at it and continue to grow and expand. So it wasn't necessarily about the money, but it was more of this, like this personal drive to, to reach that level of success. And some of that quite honestly stems from some bit of uh, wanting, like I said, wanting to prove myself as if, you know, insecurity or some aspect of not being good enough where I was. And so it was like the, the higher up that I go, the better I feel about myself. But do you think, like, when you are saying this, two questions come to mind. Did you ever see your father? <laughs> and and the second is, like, were you competing? Like you say, it, it's you're competing with yourself. But in a sense, could it have been that you were competing with your father? Because you had to, like, show him that you can also do what he could do. Yeah, so I, I, two wonderful questions headed. Uh, the first, I did see my dad. He was home for dinner pretty much every night. Um, and my dad worked hard. You know, he was home for dinner, but then he would go back to work. And in, in those days, there was no computers. He didn't oh, have a yeah. computer at home, but he would be doing paperwork and all that kind of stuff at home. Um, and as a kid, I wish that my dad didn't work as hard. 
And so that factored into my decision to say, you know, what I described about taking a lower level job is I wanted to live up to that feeling that I had as a kid. It's like, I wanted my dad more present. I was going to be more present. And so I acted on that. That's a great decision. Um, the second thing you said is about, uh, you know, competing with my dad in a way or proving myself to my dad. And, and I'll tell you, I went to, I've mentioned, I went to Princeton for my undergrad degree. I went to Stanford for my graduate degree, uh, in business, um, two amazing schools, very competitive. Um, I did well, I was in the top tier of my class in both places. When I got my coaching certificate, which was my qualification to become a coach, um, it was not as rigorous as one of the, the two schools that I went to. And it wasn't as long as the two degrees that I earned. But as I stood there holding this little certificate, tears came to my eyes. And I thought for a moment, well, where is that coming from? And it was because it was the, that was the, the certificate or the degree that I had chosen for me. It wasn't a path that was expected. It wasn't, you know, this is what quote unquote successful people do. There was no other reason to do it other than I wanted to do this and this mattered to me. So in a sense, because there are there are a lot of families, like there are a lot of parents who say you should do this. This is what, because when I started, because I am, uh, like my education comes from uh, working with people from the age zero to death. Uh, kindergartens and stuff and I remember when I was like in a training session for three months in a kindergarten and my father found out and he was just like well you can pack your bags and you can come home now because that was not that was not something that he could go around and tell people that his son was working in a kindergarten and but sometimes later I was working in a mental health uh, institution and he was just like, then it got, I, I like, he could go around and say, yeah, he is working with a mental, he is, a, he is in a mental institution and stuff. So I was just like, are we, because there are so many kids uh, who, like, they go the path where the parents want them to go and then they hit a certain age Whereas they just quit, leave everything, and they want because they want to do pottery or they want to do like paint pictures or like it is just like liberating. So it's just like yeah. it's nice to say here you say that this degree, coaching degree, is like what like made you t- tear up. So it's like, like it did. So and. and Sorry, I just just wanted to say briefly that, you know, when I I remember the day that I told my dad that I was leaving Apple to go launch my business as a coach. And, you know, my dad's 35 years at one company. He spent 35 years. Uh, And that was his model is find a good company and stick with it. Yeah. And Apple was clearly a good company. And he looked like he had somewhat teary eyes when I told him that I was leaving Apple. And so, you know, just very parallel to the story you said, I didn't get the direct, you can't do that, pack your bags and come home. But I clearly got that same kind of emotional response of, you know, how could you be doing this? Mm. Like, this is a bad decision. Um, And bless his heart, my dad didn't say that. He just, he kept his mouth shut. I could see it, but he kept his mouth shut and he let me take that course. And over time, and it sounds like I hear a little bit of this with your father as well, is 
as he got used to it, he started to build some respect. And he said, you know, what I'm doing, charting my own path as, a, as an entrepreneur and as a coach, has a totally unique set of challenges and is very difficult. It's very different from working in a big company, but difficult in its own way. And he started to gain some respect for that. But it's something that took some time for him. But it is also when he probably looked at you and saw that you were happy, extremely happy, like you were doing something that you were you love uh, that is also like <laughs> i'm loving this and uh, you don't take that away from anybody so wh- when you when you decided okay now after like you got your son and you started to like think and ponder about these things and then it took what nine years before you like <laughs> actually said i'm handing in my resignation so why why like what did the other people say at Apple? Were they just like, you're crazy, why are you leaving? And like, 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 did they understand? And did you get this acknowledgement from the others or from your friends or, or, or like social network? Like, did they say that you were, now you were losing it and we should like institutionalize you and stuff or like intervene, what, what do you call it? <laughs> Intervention. So like, ha- how was it when you like told people like, Well, I am quitting Apple after 13 years. <laughs> What did they say? <laughs> you know, it's I could put people into two different categories. Uh, one category, and what most of the people were in this category, were the, the category of people who were excited and inspired. Because I know, because I had people ahead of me who did that. I watched people leave Apple to go do their own thing, holistic medicine or you know whatever it was, because they wanted to do it. And that was inspiring for me. You know, the person who left Apple to go work for Google or Facebook, eh, I don't care about that. It's, you know, it's the same thing in a different, under a different banner. Mm-hmm. But the people who left to do something they wanted to do, that inspired me. And there were a lot of people who re- reacted to my leaving in that same way. They felt inspired, they felt excited for me. Um, so that was one category. The second category were people who were uncomfortable by what I was doing. They questioned it. They said, what are you doing? Why would you do that? It felt like a bad decision to them. And where are you and getting the money from? In that. Yeah, and where are your money get coming from? And how, like, what about security? And what about that? that? <laughs> right. Oh, I know and this feeling. You know, it's, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's, it's such a, um, fortunately, I, I had kind of gotten my feet under me. And so I understood at that point, it was way more about them and their concerns than it was about me. You know, it's just their reaction to my decision was all about them and their mindset and what was important to them. And those people who were afraid were afraid. And, you know, their mindset was, you know, I've got to have this job and I've got to be successful because that's where security comes from and all of these other, you know, yeah. all these other things. So when you, <clears throat> you quit your job in, As I remember, in okay, you handed in your notice in uh, December 2019. No, 18. 18, yeah. Yeah, and then you got like, you gave them the three months and stuff, and you then they offered you some, like, you can be half time and stuff, and you said yes, because, okay, it's better to get half the money than no money at all. So when you decided to take the plunge like when you decided to throw yourself in the deep end of the pool do you remember the uh, agony or did you have any like were you stressed and did you like worse okay worse than agony so like tell us about that of course yeah okay (laughs) 
Can you um, like talk talk us through how 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 the feeling was? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there and it wasn't just at one moment. It was at these key moments of signing up to be trained as a coach, where part of me was excited and part of me was just questioning, what am I doing? This is crazy. Am I really going to leave this career? And there's so much risk. You know, it's like the voice of all those people we just talked about is all the fear. So it happened then. It happened when I first went into turning my resignation and ended up working half time. It happened that time before I go to it. I was nervous. I was physically nervous. I felt it, you know, that kind of tingly feeling in your stomach, a little bit like wobbly. I felt that. And then I felt it again when at the end of the, the three months of working part-time, when I was finally saying, okay, this is it, I'm gonna leave entirely and just go start my business. There was, I felt it again, that part of me trying to convince me to stay on. It was yeah. the, it's like this voice inside saying, oh, it would really make more sense for you to just continue half-time. They want you to stay. And you know, half-time is pretty good. You get still get paid, you get health insurance, all these things, which we need in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it happened multiple times. And, you know, I mentioned at the beginning that one, one of the, I talk about inner technology and one of these pieces of inner technology is recognizing we will always have the voice in us that is pulling us back to what's comfortable and familiar. It's always there, but we also have the part of us that is pulling us forward to something greater and something that's connected to us and what's important to us to growth and expansion and learning and it's really a question of which voice do we listen to? Yeah. And one of my favorite tools for that is to imagine yourself when you're 80 years old, looking back at this moment of your life and say, you know, if it feels like you have two paths to choose from, which path would be the right one? And when I put myself at 80 years old, looking back at that point in my life, and I said, well, I could keep on working at Apple or I could leave and start my own business, which one feels right? And it was hands down clear leave and start your own business. Even if you fail and you get end up going back and knocking on Apple's door saying, hey, I want to come back, that still will have been a better choice than to stay there and not try. But how is it? Because like like this podcast of mine, Tribute to Happiness, it's about happiness at work. So how, how would you, and when you are in coaching session or talking about like the, those stuff, because you have talking about self-doubt, you have been talking about challenges, like what is it when your inner voice starts wapa lapa lapa or like how how <laughs> whatever it goes on. Like happiness at work for you, what what do you think like is the most important when you like both for you as a employee and now as a coach, like what do you mention? Or what do you think about when I say happiness at work? That's a great question. The two things come to mind. The first is a sense of feeling in alignment with the work that you're doing. Um, when I, you know, I think Apple's a great company and I liked it. And as, you know, as long as I felt like I was there, I was making a difference. I was an important part of the company, all of that. And like, I felt pretty, I felt happy with what I was doing. Doesn't mean I liked every every aspect of it, but I, in the in the big picture, I felt happy. The other element, though, is a sense of freedom. I've had I've worked with a number of my clients have this experience where we start working together, and the reason we start the work is because they want to switch jobs or they want to do something different entirely, start a business. Um, you know, something is not satisfying them about their work. 
through the course of our work together, we make some significant progress, if not you know, like actually changing jobs, but for those people who do not change jobs, but we make a lot of progress forward in their life, they often find themselves happier in their job because they have found more freedom, more personal freedom. Even if the job has not changed, they have not changed jobs yet, but as they experience more personal freedom to live the kind of life they want, to make the decisions that they want to make, uh, to whether that's to leave early one day a week, to spend time with family, or have a client who took some time to go play golf, um, may feel more empowered to make decisions, to speak up, to be themselves at work. As people experience more and more of that freedom, it results in feeling happier in their job, even though they came to me saying, I want to switch jobs. Yeah. So it's, it's been a, it's, I've, that's been something that I've really noticed in the, in the clients that I've worked with. And so it's that sense of freedom to be yourself and live the kind of life you want to live, I think is really important element of, of happiness. But how is it when you are, are coach or for you when you were at Apple and then you are over at the uh, coaching business, like the happiness at home thing like how when you have to combine those things like you have your brain like melted in a sense that you just like what is it that i want to do i don't want like i want to see my kid grow up i want to connect with the kid and stuff like there are so many things about life and and happiness at home like if you are miserable at home you can be great at work or vice versa like you can have a, a great home life but crappy work like so how do you have you experienced something around the happiness of home happiness at home where people like they say that the home life is interfering with the work or vice versa uh, well uh, what i what i do see Hedin, is that uh, if someone's unhappy in one aspect of their life it's not really something that can be isolated usually that unhappiness spreads so if they're, you know, let's just say that they're un, they're happy at home, things are going great in their family, but they're really unhappy at work. It's very hard to leave that behind and not to have that infect your home life in some way, infect you and your personality. I just believe that we are like we're continuous in that way. We can't really segregate and isolate different parts of our lives. We try, and a lot of people do that, and we're somewhat successful. But I just don't think I don't believe we can do it 100. percent Oh yeah. So I think, I think that, uh, you know, it, so that's that's one thing. And I'm also a real believer, and this is, again, one of these inner technology principles, is that most of us think that, like, we just have to accept what is, or we think that there's a trade-off. And I just, I really like to, you know, one of these tools is just to encourage people to say, well, what if both could be true? Rather than it's, you know, well, happy at home, happy at work, take your pick. Uh, well, what if you could have both? What if you could really feel happy in your life? And that is an that is expressed in all aspects of your life. What would that look like for you to get people curious and brainstorming and imaginative about how would it look if you really enjoyed all these different aspects of your life? Because it's possible. It's just most of us don't think that way because we haven't been trained that way. Yeah. So you, in a sense, like your happiness at home, it, it reflects while you are a solo, like you are, in a, you are only you're the one man business, I gather, and and so you how 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 is it like? Can you take us through a day in a life of Rusty, the coach and happy person? Like how is like happiness at work, happiness at home? 
just happiness in life. That must be like the ultimate. When you like because you mentioned when you are eighty and you look back and say, Well, I did right. My life has been good, I am satisfied, my kids they are all right, my life has been like how how is it for you, like if you take us through like your thoughts about those like happiness at work, happiness at home, and happiness in life yeah. in general. Because I know you guys in the States, you are experiencing some, the weirdest time probably of your life at the mm-hmm. situation of uh, everything. But like, how, 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 how is it that you go through a day and say, yeah, it was a good day today? Well, there were, <laughs> I remember times in my life where I would say, I can't wait for the weekend. And it might be Monday when I said that. You, me, and we both. <laughs> <laughs> well, it occurred to me at some point that I was like wishing five sevenths of my life to just disappear. You know, like five days a week I'm working and two days I have a weekend. And if that's Monday and I'm already wishing for the next weekend, I'm just waiting for those five days to disappear as quickly as possible so I can get to the weekend. And I just decided I'm not going to live my life that way. I'm not going to choose to like try to just get through five days of my life so I can enjoy two of them. Like, why not find a way to enjoy all of them? So it's, you know, it's, it's a decision. And then the other part of it is like every day, you know, there's something that's annoying in every day, or there's some part of my work, even as a coach, that is tiresome, or I don't really feel that motivated about doing it. But where are you? Which, so the question is, where am I focused? Do mm. I want to? I can focus on that thing and really get grumpy about it and feel like a victim and feel stuck and like, oh man, I don't believe I have to do this crap and I don't want to do this. And, you know, that can become a little spiral, like a, a whirlpool, and yeah. I can get stuck in it. But I can just as easily focus my attention on all of the good things in my life. I'm doing work that I feel good about. I'm successful in doing that work. I've got a wonderful family and I've got a home and I'm healthy and you know the sun is shining and I live in a beautiful place. And so it's, you know, we, we can focus on the, the day-to-day minutia. And when we focus on the day-to-day minutia, oftentimes there's a little bit of a negative energy to some of those things. Yeah. Or we can take a step back and kind of look at the big pictures like, hey, I'm alive today. I woke up, you know, it's like not everybody woke up this morning. Um, I'm healthy. I can get up. I can move around. I can I can walk through my life physically. And just like there's amazing things. Something as simple as I hung a bird feeder outside of my window. And so I'll look out my window and I'll see the birds sitting there eating. And it's just just the exposure to nature and things that for me are meaningful. Um, so it's, it can be little things, but it's also the kind of looking at the, the over, overarching big picture and focusing more on that rather than on the annoyances and the little whirlpools you can get stuck in if you, if you allow yourself to. Yeah, because when you think about happiness at work or something, you, it's not happiness. If you think about happiness in general, it's not like you are walking around, skipping the ground and just like smiling every day, every minute, every hour. Like that is not happening because you are always going to get some a new like something that pisses you off. Can you say it? Oh, yeah. well, it's my podcast. I can say it. So, <laughs> so, so it's because when you say for me, it's just like when I wake up and I can feel the sun is shining, 
well, no, I live in Iceland, like so. <laughs> I'm just like, yes, that's awesome. Or when I hear the bird singing, that is a sign that there is a good weather outside. You know, it's it's so like how you wake up and see the world. So I'm truly like that. I think that was fascinating what you said. So we have to close up. Uh, it has been fascinating talking to you, uh, and. I have a little bit of challenge for you. Oh, good. So I want to, because I have, my, you know, the Icelandic language is uh, a wee different than everybody else's. So I was thinking about if you can say one thing in Icelandic for me. Maybe with some coaching. <laughs> no, you will just hear the word and you just have to say it. And then probably I will laugh. But I, I will try my best not to laugh at you. But can you say Eilstadir? Eilstadir. Oh, man, you are good. That was nice. I didn't even laugh. I must pick Thank a hard you. one next time. <laughs> <laughs> but, Rusty, it has been a pleasure talking to you. you we haven't even gotten, like, you, your... On your LinkedIn profile, what does it say? You are helping... Save the most ambitious people from themselves. So you are saving the most ambitious people from themselves. That is absolute great stuff. So I'm like the Iceland's... I'm Iceland's chief happiness officer. So we have like... It's a big... <laughs> we, have, we have a big mission, Rusty. Big mission. Yes, we do. Yes. So it has absolutely... for it. Yeah. It has been absolutely fabulous talking to you, and you have, like, a great insight, and it's fun, lots of fun. So I hope you will succeed in everything you do, and, like, I hope you will wake up and have a smile on your face every day of your life and think about, like, your family and stuff, what is most important to you. Well, thank you, Hedin. This has been... Fantastic. Um, what an honor and a pleasure to speak with Iceland's chief happiness officer. And um, for anyone who wants more happiness in their life, all they need is a conversation with you because yeah. it's Ooh. just a, it's a real pleasure. Well, thank you, Rusty. And I hope maybe we will talk again in one year's time or something. Then we can take a like make a status of where we are. Thank you very much. Sounds great. Bye. This has been the Tribute to Happiness podcast. Tune in for next week's episode. You'll find us on social media.